It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. I had my ear, ear pods in and I just realized I don't think they're connected to that, but it's okay. I don't think I need them. You can hear me okay. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network Thanks as always for making your way here, checking out the series Of course, I do hope you hit that subscribe button So you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week It's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday Three interviews a week to keep you up to date on your favorite artists And discover those new ones at Spotify, Apple Podcast, at NPR, WFPK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. You can subscribe to Kyle Meredith with some of my recent guests have included uh, Josh Radner. You know him from uh, Fleischman is in Trouble and How I Met Your Mother. He's got a, a new solo album out that we got to talk about. Uh, let, let's see here. Uh, Kristen Hirsch of Throwing Muses, uh, the band Laney, uh, Annie Weissman, she's the creator of the show Physical on Apple TV+. Plus. I talked to the uh, the director and producers of Expendables 4. We had the Breeders, Baroness, Corey Taylor of Slipknot, Michael C. Hall, uh, actor behind Dexter and Six Feet Under with his band Princess Goes, uh, as well as the team behind The Morning Show on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, Andy Taylor of Duran Duran, Leve, Rap Boys, Westlife, Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads. That's just an example of what you get when you subscribe to the Kyle Meredith with podcast. And that's me, Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Susan Tedeschi. It's the 25th anniversary of her breakthrough album, Just Won't Burn. That's what we're going to be talking about. She'll tell us how that album was really uh, the one that kickstarted her career, why she found herself attracted to the blues, and how that genre was finding its own mainstream crossover success in the 90s. Uh, Susan goes on to reveal some fun stuff like like uh, how uh, Led Zeppelin and grunge music inspired some of her darker songs, uh, the time she once played her own high school prom, uh, how she privately might want to make a punk album, and the fun Tedeschi Trucks Band had making their uh, last year's concept album, I Am The Moon. All that and more as we talk about the 25th anniversary of Just Won't Burn. It's Kyle Meredith with Susan Tedeschi. Hello, how are you? It's It's been so great to look back on this record. And, you know, I, I don't know if you call it your beginnings because there's, of course, so much history that comes before it. 
uh, you know, as you as you find your feet in 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 music and everything. But but this sort of starts what becomes ultimately your career, right? Absolutely. I mean, I I definitely had a lot of little success up until that point, you know, and I'd been on stage since I was five. So as you said, it wasn't the start of my career because I've literally been on stage my whole life. But um, when it comes to being in a band and getting to make your own music and making your own records, this was a huge turning point in my career when I made Just Won't Burn. So it was actually my second record, but it was my first record on a label. And it, it was huge. It was a huge turning point. It got me my first Grammy nominee up against Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears and Kid Rock and Macy Gray. And that's where it all started. And I was actually um, able to to tour that record. And it was funny, the first tour of that like main tour was opening up for the Allman Brothers, which is when I met my husband. So it actually changed my world in a lot of ways. <laughs> wow, just so much there. Hearing you, you know, reading some of the interviews from back then, uh, and, and of course, the press release stuff that's come out now, hearing you talk about, you know, how you finally arrived to the sound, because as you, as you said, you, you sort of found blues a little bit later than I think a lot of people. What was it ultimately that did attract you to, to this type of sound? Well, so I, I think it was because it was so similar to gospel music and gospel music obviously wasn't really, you know, looking at me. I don't know. I wasn't getting calls night and day to be in like Shirley Caesar's band or anything. Uh, <laughs> but I think it was because it had such a similar um, tone and style. And then when I really started digging in, I had some friends that were running a blues jam at Johnny D's and in, in, up in Boston and they were like, up in Somerville, Mass. And they were like, hey, we need singers. You know, we have all these, you know, guitar players and drummers, but, you know, we need singers. So we come up and learn some blues tunes. So literally that's how it started. Like went to go sit in with some friends and then that like kicked off a whole different thing. So then I I had a whole society that I, you know, of friends that I was really close to from from that whole experience from playing at Johnny D's and then from there it, it branched out later you know so that was early that was actually before I started my own band and you know and I I'd been singing other styles of music but I hadn't really dove into the blues and then when I did I went to Stereo Jacks I'll never forget it on Mass Ave in Boston and I I remember spending over $200 on CDs back then which at the time was a lot of money because it was in the 90s and that's still a lot of money but I was like oh my gosh Tivo Mocker and Big Mama Thornton and Coco Taylor and this person and that person and who is this and Freddie King and oh my gosh Otis Rush and so it was sort of like discovering this whole other world that really wasn't obvious to me growing up where I was from we just didn't have a lot of those records you know, in, in our local mom and pop stores. So it was an exciting time for me. And then I just got addicted to the blues and I fell in love with it. It is interesting what it was happening, even in the zeitgeist though, because, you know, while, while that's your personal story that was happening to a lot of people, you know, when I look back and think of not, not the pop stars that we were talking about a minute ago with, with Brittany and Christina so much, but, um, but like a lot of the artists who were charting on the pop charts were finding success with blues based songs. You know, that, that was story, at least the pop songs still had a guitar solo, if nothing else. Uh, but, but it, there, there did seem to be something lining up. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you see that in hindsight yourself or not, but. Um... Yeah. Well, actually, well, I'm looking in hindsight. I, I realize how big the blue scene was in Boston growing up. 
when I was kind of coming into that, you know, starting to get into the age of being able to go to clubs and all that, you know, I graduated college really young. I was 20. I wasn't even 21 yet. So I had to wait. Um, I mean, I graduated in May and then I, I, in November, I turned 21. So I had to wait a little while, which is crazy. But um, one thing I did notice is that you had the opening of the house of blues, the very first house of blues. And I think it was like late 93, early 94. And what I noticed with that whole scene was, you know, they were really hungry to figure out how to, you know, book people in there and do all this stuff. And then they came and saw me actually at Johnny D's during that time when I was just going and sitting in and I had been really diving into the blues at that time. And my boyfriend at the time, Tim Guerin, um, he's a guitar player and amazing slide player and stuff too. Uh, singer, songwriter, the whole deal. He was playing with Tony Lynn Washington. And so their band it really turned me on to a lot of stuff. And then I ended up going, but before that, um, it was just really kind of nuts, like how everything kind of fell into place. I realized that there was a huge scene. And then all of a sudden these House of Blues were going to start to open up. And there was just like a real, it was just timing. It was just like a good moment to get in there and get, you know, like, hey, maybe I should start my own band. So that's kind of what happened. I started my own band once the House of Blues started. I met Adrian at one of the like first shows they had. It was like a Jill Lewis Walker show. And I ran into her and we just started talking and we met up with Annie little Annie Rains on harmonica and the three of us decided, well, let's do a band. Like, let's have like three girls in our twenties playing in a blues band. It was just very kind of crazy at the time. And, and it was just all timing. And so that's really how I, I started my first solo band and I did better days in 95. And then by the time 97 came around, I was kind of at the tail end of my first solo band. And, but we made this record just won't burn. And it was kind of collaboration between that band mixed with some new friends and old friends, you know, like Tim Guerin's on that record. Sean Costello is on that record. So I had a lot of really amazing musicians I got to play with. Um, but it, it was a, a huge turning point. It absolutely was. And, and there was a huge scene for blues at that time, which really, you know, it's one of those things that kind of comes and goes, but it's always there. You know, there's always a scene for it. People love it. They do. Just seeing that explosion, it was it was perfect timing. I was running through those those artists in my head. You know, just one that comes to mind. Like I said, more than just a traditional how it was crossing over. You know, with with Blues Traveler and Cheryl and 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 yep. Joan and everybody. You know, who was kind of doing that. I mean, what timing? But and we'll be right back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. It's Kyle Meredith with Susan Tedeschi. But but hearing what you were doing, because it was more in this, I mean, the pop elements were there, but there was this purest form. I mean, hell, what you did to Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Me, it still gives me goosebumps when I hear that performance. Oh, thank you. Like your vocal, do you, do you remember recording the vocals to that? Well, I remember doing that arrangement of it. And the reason I had switched up that arrangement 
is because I was thinking of more like a Steve Ray Vaughn kind of a vibe. Like I wanted it to be more Texas sort of instead of like the mama, like the swing kind of version, which is like what Ruth Brown did and stuff. So I do remember recording it and just trying to make it more of like a rocker, more like Stevie, <laughs> honestly. It's a hell of a performance. But, you know, and those moments are all over there. I mean, uh, I mean, looking for answers that that seems like it was probably a big step when I look when I compare you know, the album before it was better to, you know, and, and what's going on there, like that song, where did that one come into play? So that one, it was an open tuning. And so on the very first record, Better Days, I just mentioned, I started writing an open tuning. So I wrote Locomotive and going to write him a letter in open detuning. And then when I made the next record, Just Won't Burn, I had made at that point Looking for Answers, which was sort of, instead of getting out of like that country blues 145 kind of vibe you know it was basically a little bit more advanced like for me at that time and a little bit more you know melodic and a little outside of the blues exactly you know it has the blues influence but it's it just um I was thinking about like Led Zeppelin and how they would take a blues tune and kind of make it their own so it's sort of me making my own kind of thing a little bit more rock well, and then now we get, of course, the uh, there's an alternate version on here. There's a live version too with Tedeschi Trucks Band, but uh, but that alternate version like feels so different. Oh, the yeah, the that well, so that was sort of my other version. It, it was definitely more of like the grunge, like Seattle scene kind of kind of creeping in a little bit, you know, because I always liked punk rock and I like sort of like that grungy rock and roll, you know, the energy. I love the energy and I kind of always like the the minory kind of depressing, like, you know, I don't know, just you know, that kind of angst. And I, I always thought that was kind of creeping in at that time, you know, when I did that version of of that song. <laughs> <laughs> things that could have been but you know there are other parts where that would have fit like like listening to it's like you need to be with me like that's a favorite and i think that's because like a lot of the blues that i was naturally attracted to was sort of that spooky blues you know like i, I yeah. why the genre lent itself so much to you know october uh inevitably but like those moments <laughs> are in there and, and that alternate version of looking for answers kind of kind of falls the same you know and and i don't there's just something about what what happens with blues that you can go, oh, I I can make this dark. Yeah, I think just ultimately people kind of associate the blues with like, oh, when you're going through a hard time or when you're sad or something, you know, so that has like that little minory edge. But at the same time, you know, like BB used to say, it's like whatever ails you. It's like it also can be very healing. So the great thing, it's sort of like just being able to play music in general can be very healing and and it can, you know, not only be healing to the listener, but can be healing to the musician, like getting it out, you know, getting out our emotion and working through stuff. And then I love that involvement with the audience, like how we all kind of share music together, you know, how I'm experiencing it and then how they're experiencing it are, can be two very different things, but we're both in the same moment and sharing that, you know, is really kind of cool, but I don't know, blues blues i love it. it it can be really uplifting or it can be kind of sad you know we were t- I, was, I was talking about this alternate uh alternate version of uh, looking for answers uh, a waste of time is also on here which had never been released and that's part of this expanded edition you know when you, when you dove in to the stuff that was setting in whatever vaults like i don't know did you find anything that you weren't expecting and i don't mean specifically but you know as 
Yeah, no, actually, it's funny, like, you mentioned wasting my time. Now that song I originally wrote as a country tune, which I have never released it like that either. So I told the label, I'm like, I'm going to release this as a country tune eventually. So just so you know, so I had to kind of go over that before they did the re-release. Um, but it's an interesting thing. Like songs, sometimes, you know, they have one, you know, personality one minute. And then the next time you can, you know, completely rearrange it. And it sounds like a different song, you know, and I thought, you know, looking for answers and wasting my time at that time, both has sort of that, you know, indie rock kind of grungy influence at the time. <laughs> That's what I said that what the sliding doors, the 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 uh, the the routes you could have taken, uh, because because again, the, the fun part of looking back and hearing the stories, especially of what came before, like hearing that you once played a prom, which oh yeah. <laughs> I thought only happened in movies, by the way. I didn't think you could really do that. <laughs> oh, it was my prom. Yeah. I not, not only played a prom, I played at my prom, <laughs> which is very embarrassing. Um, but it was fun. It actually ended up being fun. And it's and it's kind of comes full circle, you know. Um, I remember playing some some eagle songs. Like I remember playing Take It to the Limit at the prom. <laughs> But then we would play, you know, twist and shout, like some Beatles or whatever, you know, stuff that kids would like. But but it was it is kind of funny looking back on it now. Once you found your signature, you know, in, in blues and in soul, that would be a part of that. And all the different, you know, routes that you've taken within those genres too. just knowing that, you know, you came like a lot of us did, for, you know, pop music and, and radio and all that stuff. Like, do you ever find yourself like trying to write in, in, in those styles? Yeah, for sure. I've definitely tried to. I I don't usually do very well, but um, but it's funny. I think the stuff that I kind of naturally gravitate towards from my early influences are more a lot of the country and the folk artists and the people that tell a story and the people that you know write some catchy melodies. But it's not so poppy that it's just bubblegum pop. You know, it's more. You know, I, I obviously was raised on Bob Dylan. My my parents are big folkies and, and into a bunch of different stuff. And and then my dad also turned me on to a lot of country blues artists, but I didn't, and, and Mavis Staples and Staples Singers and artists like that. So I find, you know, that's a lot of the stuff I really want to write is more things that are, you know, I guess they're kind of Americana nowadays or Brutes Rock or whatever, but they start there with telling a story and getting the melody. But then from there, I, I do like experimenting and I like trying different forms of music. And then whenever I do, it tends to be more like angry punk rock or something. It just wants to come out of me. <laughs> so I have, I don't know, I've got some different influences for sure. But I very much just want to hear the Susan Tedeschi punk rock album. I do. do you? Yes, okay. I do. I really do. I'll do, you know, I, I think I need a some help with that but it'd be fun i could give dave Grohl a call maybe he would help help me out <laughs> no one's gonna see it coming it's gonna be a great thing to do <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this welcome back it's kyle meredith with susan tedeschi what you all just came off with with uh, with i am the moon i mean and that was so good like of course you know i've been a fan of of, of everything that you all been doing but there was something special about that but to be such a project you know, yeah. to tackle it lyrically in the storytelling way that you guys were doing in the, the parts and section coming off that now, like, do you find that you would want to do that type of, of album again? 
Yeah, I, I do. I think that album is really so beautiful. And I love that we had to do it during a time when we were kind of forced into doing something outside the box for us because we were not on the road as much. Mm -hmm. So that was nice, even though it was a pandemic and it was totally terrifying and nobody knew what was going on in the world. But it was kind of nice having the no time limit thing, you know, which you usually would have with making a record. So in that way, it was very freeing for the band. And, you know, our, our core group of writers, which is Mike Madison, Derek, Gabe Dixon, Falcon, one of our drummers, and myself, we were the ones that wrote all the tunes. And then we realized we had so many great tunes and they all made sense that instead of making like a double record or a triple record, we're like, you know, let's make each of these records fit perfectly on vinyl. So there is a an art to that too, which people don't always know about nowadays, especially young kids with computers and digital zeros and ones, which are very different than saturating vinyl and getting all of the sounds that you record on a record. So people don't always know, like some people smush them in, you know, to try to fit a bunch of stuff on a record, but that it doesn't sound as good. And they're like, well, why doesn't it sound as good? Because you need the space on the vinyl you know, to saturate the record and have it sound good. So it kind of just fell together perfectly. Derek was really instrumental in saying, wait a minute, this could fit perfectly on four records and we could do all of these. And then we could put movies with them and we could have film, you know, that was Mike's idea. He he was like, oh, I have this friend, you know, she's an incredible filmmaker and, you know, as well as screenwriter and all these other things. But she um, was into the idea of, putting something to the music. And so then I was like, well, we got to do it like, you know, in episodes, sort of like when Mandalorian was coming out during the pandemic or Stranger Things, you know, you, you have like 20, 30 minutes, you can watch a show. And I feel like our whole society is sort of based on 20 to 30 minutes at a time that we can really focus on something. So I was like, oh, well, maybe if we did it in episodes <laughs> and they do, they fit perfectly. It's like 30 something minutes or or 20, you know, I don't know exactly how long each one was, but it just seemed to be the perfect amount of attention span, where it's really difficult to listen to four records of music all at once and to really understand it or have it sink in. So I liked how it was coming out, you know, a little at a time and people could really digest it and get their own feelings about it and, you know, find their favorites. And then when the new one came out, they were excited and ready for it. So it wasn't like you're dumping it all at once on them. And I love that. And I think that actually makes sense in a lot of ways for just the way that we kind of digest music or art or anything. Just take some time, you know, and, and you don't want to rush it. You know, you want to let people experience it and and have their own opinions about it. Um, so it worked out great. And it was just kind of, once again, all perfect timing, even though it was a difficult time, it was actually a great time to reflect and then having the subject matter, just everything was so serendipitous because everything just really made sense to, at the time. You know, we had just done the Layla record with Trey. Mm -hmm. And then Mike was like, well, what about the original version of like Layla and Majna and like where this whole story comes from? And then what about her perspective or somebody else's perspective? So it was like all these cool ideas. And I don't know, these guys are really smart. 
honestly, Derek and Mike, they get together, they talk for like five minutes and all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, it's like we have all these new brainstorming ideas that are brilliant and where are we going to go from here? And it's, so it's really exciting and it's really fun. And, you know, this band is really good at that. So I, I wouldn't doubt it if we do another project in the future like that. But at the same time, I think it would be good for us to focus on, you know, not being so afraid to just like dive into a regular record, which I think is not so scary now. Whereas before it used to be, it used to seem like this big thing. But now after doing four in a row, you're like, oh, well, one isn't so scary. We could do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like thinking of bands, you know, who who got famous for doing like the who was great for that. You know, yeah. rolling from Tommy into who's next. And finally, they're like, oh, just give us the who by numbers. We just need something, you know, and, and it's still, you know, if you could pull that off. But but seriously, I mean, the fact that you guys were able to do exactly what you said and still have it work in today's musical environment was incredible. And it was so much fun as fans to kind of be along for that ride. You know, I, I loved it. It was, it was one of my favorite things. So. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I was really kind of blown away by it too. And I liked that the label went along with us, which I thought, Oh gosh, they're never going to go along with this. You know, they're like, what? No, but they were, they were excited too. And I think, Everybody likes a, a concept record. Everybody likes something that has a theme. Everybody likes when it has meaning. And then they can put their own twist on what that meaning means to them. You know, so that's what it's all about. And I think it, that just made it extra fun. Well, um, in the meantime, I don't know what that means in the meantime, but back to the subject at hand. Uh, 25 years of Just Won't Burn and the record is still so damn good. And uh, and congratulations on, you know, a hell of a run with this one that just still sticks around and keeps speaking uh, every single time. You know, I'm just so blessed that it has carried this much weight for so long that people still like it. You know, a lot of times you make a record and then people forget about it. And it's just so fun that this is really one of the very first records that I had released on a, a label that was distributed and somehow made it out in the world and and made it possible for me to have a make a living at music you know so I feel really really blessed and and kind of shocked I don't think I would have ever thought that I'd be in a band with Derek <laughs> at this point in my life um and you know and have the the masterful musicians that we're around all the time and and just I don't know we've been really blessed you know all the people that we got to make music with and meet along the way and if you would if I had known back then all the people that I would have been able to meet and tour with, I'd be like, uh-uh, like, no way. You're I mean, kidding. you opened for the Stones, like, and, and, and like, it, especially at that point, it just didn't get much bigger, you know. It's... I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, and it's funny, I don't even think of them as the biggest act that I've opened for, <laughs> <laughs> even though they're, like, gigantic, you know. But it, for me, I, I don't know, I just feel like, just you know getting to meet so many of your heroes it's just such it's um very humbling and sometimes just like am I here is this real you know but I just I feel very lucky and and very grateful that I've been able to do it well uh we're lucky for it too the music has been fantastic congratulations on this 25th anniversary and Susan thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it this has been a real pleasure yeah. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Susan Tedeschi. 25th anniversary edition of Just Won't Burn is out now. 
Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Uh, again, I do hope you hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with the entire series. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, three a week to keep you up to date on your favorite artists and discover those new ones at Spotify and Apple pa- Podcast at uh, NPR, WFBK.org, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith With. And then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's four hours of classics from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We've got the best in new music, uh, lots of music news, bonus interviews. One of my recent uh, episodes had the uh, the music of Astro Gilberto, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Emmy Lou Harris, the Ramones, the Undertones, Pearl Jam, Ben Gibbard, Amy Mann, Foo Fighters, Shirley Bassey, the B-52s, Portishead, Cat Power, Jenny Lewis, Boy Genius, Alanis Morissette, Katie Lang, Widespread Panic, Jack White, The Revivalist, Nick Drake, and my interview with Lena Waithe, the uh, the actress and producer who uh, is behind the uh, the new documentary on uh, HBO Max called Being Mary Tyler Moore. That's what you get every weeknight starting at 6 p.m. at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. Of course, you can also catch me on the social media spots. Uh, The address is always the same, at Kyle Meredith. So I do hope you like and follow along. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Man, it's everywhere. It's not just Kentucky. My nose is running today, too. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org, from Louisville Public Media.